Amen. Uh, first off, Ken, I want to say you, I heard you did an incredible job. Everyone a part of the play, you did an incredible job. Word got back to me that I wanted a dark night in camping up here in Maine. I don't know if that's on my Christmas list. Now for, for the kingdom, I, I, I sacrifice, but I don't know if it's on my Christmas list. I don't know if that's what I wake up in the morning wondering about. Um, and so, but again, thank you guys. Uh, I saw the pictures of my son. I don't know what exactly he was doing on the stage, but I was just moved. Uh, oh, he was singing? That, that part wasn't clear to me. I just saw him up there. I was like, all right. Um, so... We're going to talk about prayer. So these are part of the seven disciplines we've been talking about uh, that should characterize our community group. Um, you know, my most important task as a minister, my most important task as an evangelist is to teach God's people the need to pray. Some people I might have to teach to pray. But my most important task, because as I read through the scriptures, one of the most important things Jesus did was pray and he taught his followers to do the same. And he encouraged his followers to do the same. And when you read through the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is just working powerfully through. But at every point, right before the Holy Spirit does work or after the Holy Spirit does work, the, the community of believers pray. They pray consistently. You know, that's just a cursory glance of the book of Acts. But you can do that with the entire Bible. You find great miracles preceded by prayer. You find incredible character change and growth preceded by prayer. You hear God's direction and vision preceded by prayer. And so we talked about these six um, disciplines, these social disciplines for our, our community groups, and we gleaned a lot from the book Faithful Presence by David Fitch, and he talks about the table fellowship, reconciliation, proclaiming the gospel, serving the poor, um, serving the children, and gift-based team. And today we're gonna talk about kingdom prayer. You see, prayer, is so critical. All the different challenges we're confronted with in this world, from the personal to the macro. Like you talk about, man, I'm having a tough time in my personal life, overcoming personal sin. I'm having interpersonal challenges. And then we start to scale it out from racial challenges to um, economic challenges. And then you get into the conversation of gender and um, sexuality, all of these things. You're like, what on earth can I possibly do? You know, the world is filled with a lot of teaching out there. And yet the difference between us, our teaching leads us to a resurrected Jesus. But that needs to be coupled with people who are reaching out to the God of Jesus who rose him from the dead. If so I want to encourage us to be a people known by prayer. And so let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. This is one of the most foundational prayers in all of Scripture. You know, I, I've been studying the Sermon on the Mount for probably about seven months now. And this is the center of the Sermon on the Mount. Many, many scholars look, if you're familiar with the term chiasm, it's like, what's the most important thing that this block of teaching is trying to teach? The Sermon on the Mount. I mean, the Lord's Prayer finds itself in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. It is the kind of the, the hinge point of the first part of the Sermon on the Mount and the second part of the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 6, can I get a volunteer to read it? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. 
we, we hear Jesus' words as he teaches his disciples how to pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse, go for a header. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And leave us no, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay, so I'm going to ask some of you to suspend what you've been taught again. A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. That was awesome. If you use that in your prayer times, I encourage you to keep doing it if it's helping you get drawn near to God. And yet, I do want us to read this in its context. Jesus does not say, and here is my outline for prayer. He does not say that. Those words do not come out of his mouth. Church history actually begs to differ. This is actually how people prayed for at least up until the 1800s. This was an important part of how people prayed. They didn't use it as an outline for what they were going to pray about. And so if you are a person who's into ACT and you're like, man, you just disrupted my bubble and life is going tough right now, just hang in there. And again, I'm encouraging you not to abandon that if that helps you feel close to God. But I do want us to teach what the scriptures is actually teaching, which is important as followers of Jesus. Okay. Why does Jesus refer to God as our father? Like, why does he begin this, 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 this type of prayer as our father? Well, I think the first thing that stands out is our. You know, it's, it's not just a personal thing. It's a communal thing mm-hmm. in this case. Yeah, so definitely this is social, our father. How many of you start off your prayer talking to God in the plural? Our Father. You know, again, and I can tell you why most of us don't do it. Man, America has built individuals. <laughs> My Father in heaven. Our, our who? Like, we, we've been built to be individuals. We don't even think about we're talking to all of our fathers when we start talking to God, especially those who have made Jesus Lord. But like uh, Lenny mentioned, it's communal. Why do you think Jesus wants us to think communally when we enter into prayer as we initiate this, our Father? Why does he want us to be communal in our thought process? Helps us take our eyes off ourselves. Okay. Okay. It helps us take our eyes off ourselves. Lincoln? Yeah, I think, you know, our relationship with God and our relationship with each other is a lot more connected than we think. Yeah, so you hit on two really important things. Ken? Um, so, uh, just like you said, when two or more together, when you're praying, often you're praying with a group or with more than one person. Yeah. You know, 
Now, this might cause some conflict in your household. That's okay. You should get into some conflict here and there. Most, most, most married people, when they get together, I was talking to this couple that recently got married. They come together and they merge their accounts, right? And what happens, eventually they might have some conversations about how money is being spent because it's their account. So right now, the brother buys pizza, does this, does that. He buys whatever he wants, and his only accountability is himself. Now he's going to be a married person, and she might say, you buy pizza four times out the week. Why is this $60 just missing right now? They, they have a shared responsibility with their resources. I believe God is calling us to communal prayer because we have a shared responsibility to one another. That when we get... If you bend and you bend the knee and pray, or if you stand in prayer, you pray on prayer walks. God wants us to bring all of us to Him, because we are deeply concerned with one another. We know the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And the second is like it: love your neighbor as yourself. One of the most loving things we could do is pray for one another. One of the most loving things we could do is bring each other before God in prayer. You see. This is the beginning of how Jesus wants us to think about God. He's our father. He could have used Lord. He could have used the proper title, God. But he communicates father. Why does he want us to think of God as father? Now, this is tough for those of us who've had dysfunctional relationships with our fathers. You, some people would much rather our Lord. And yet Jesus here says our father. Why, why does he want us to connect with father? to invoke the thought of, of the protector of you know, God as being a, a, a paternal figure that cares for us that um, you, know, uh, you know if you think about the, the earthly fathers you, you know you're evil you know how to good, give good gifts to your, your children and so how much more God you know, there's always that, that imagery of, of a father doing good things for his children yeah Scott I'm going to go out on a limb here. Limb, jump. I'm going to say that he was talking to Jewish people who thought of the Abraham as their father. Mm -hmm. And so he's he's turning it from, we're, we're, we're not a people of Abraham, we're people of God. And so God is, God instead of Abraham, God is, is our father. Hey, that's a fresh perspective. Something to chew on, definitely. Um, Fred. Well, I think um, fathers are, are uh, you know, they're a direct relationship to us. In other words, they brought us into existence. I mean, obviously through a woman, but uh, in an earthly way, but God brought us, and, and that relationship is unique. There is no other relationship like it. Yeah. And it's also the, a source of sustenance, and we see that later on in this prayer, right? Yeah. The fathers are, are the ones who are the primary, at that time anyways, the primary provider of the things that the family needed. And God is, is actually the sustainer of everything and the provider for everything we have and need. Yeah. It, Lindsay? I was just thinking about, like, all of us, we belong to him. You know? Like, it's just this idea of, like, remove the last name, like, remove Maelli, remove LaFrance, remove whoever, but now, like, like, 
loved us in that way. Yeah. You know, this is a patriarchal society. And so the father did play a huge role in everything. You had a father, you're pretty much not going to be homeless. It was going to work itself out. A father played a huge role. And like Fred mentioned, in teaching, in providing, in guiding, it, it, it played a huge role. And so what I believe Jesus is trying to he, do here is don't think of this simply as creation, creator. Think of this in relational terms. You know, and the healthier our relationships are, it, 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 there, there's so much stats on this. The healthier our relationships are with our earthly fathers, the easier it is for us to understand this prayer. The more dysfunctional that relationship is, the harder it is to even see it. Like Stephen is two years old, and I picked up one thing so far. Stephen loves Julian. He wants to play with Julian. He wants to hang out with Julian. You know, it, it, it's clear. Like, I come in and want to play with the dinosaur. Jules comes in. He's like, all right, it's me and mommy, right? However... When Stephen is scared, he doesn't cry out, Mommy. Dad, Dad, Dad. Because he thinks, he's convinced, I can protect him from whatever it is that's terrifying him. Now, sometimes what terrifies him terrifies me. <laughs> and so we're mutually scared, <laughs> terrified. But he doesn't know it. So there was one time, there was like some shadow figure. It was, it was the rocking chair. But when I walked in with his light and the angle, it did look like, kind of like a monster. He's like, Dad, it's a monster. I look, I'm like, it's a bat again? And it wasn't a bat. <laughs> it wasn't a bat. <laughs> so I turned the light on. And then he, you know, he came and hugged me. And he was like, can you stay in here with me? He felt protected. He felt like, man, I'm in trouble. I need to reach out to my dad. Uh, and in the same way, trouble, not only trouble, but when it's good, when it's healthy. Like, God is, Jesus is trying to help us make that relational connection to the Father. He is Lord. He is God, the creator of heaven and earth. He is the one we read about in all the Old Testament. And yet, probably the title he wants here in this moment is Father. And that's really important as we contemplate what it means to have kingdom prayers. What, what does it mean to hollow something? That's not a word we use every day. Halloween is probably the closest thing we get to that. And Lord knows that's probably not hollow. Uh, but what does it mean to hollow something? Martin. To honor it, to revere it. To honor it, to revere it, okay. To hold it as sacred. Hold it as sacred. Come on, that felt like it came straight from a catechism book or something like that. <laughs> and anyone else? To honor it, to revere it, to hold it as sacred. Do you guys understand how important the name of God is in the Bible? You know, and one of the, the, the Ten Commandments, it's not really the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, but we call it the Ten Commandments, is... Do not use the Lord's name in vain. Like, God wants his name held sacred, held um, honored. It needs to have a special place when it rolls off of our tongues. And why do, you, why do you guys think God wants us to look at his name, see his name, and have it just be held in a special place? For a lot of New England people, that's like Tom Brady. You say his name, you better say something positive right after. If you don't say something positive about Tom Brady right after, you lose all, like 60% of New England is like, I don't know if this guy belongs here anymore. Why does God want his name held sacred? His name has power. His name has power, okay, it does. Anyone else, why does he want his name held sacred? Okay. Well, I mean, I think there's also, there's a lot of a 
was a reason, you know, like like there was a reason behind it, you know, and I feel like, you know, with God, you know, when he says my name is I am, mm -hmm. like, like there's, there's a reason behind it, and I feel like, you know, I mean, it's, it's purposeful, and it's like, you, if you, if you're going to use my name, you're going to use it with a purpose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So names are really important. Names are associated and attached to reputation, right? Um, I have a family member who is chronically tardy. Like they don't know how to show up to anything on time. I, we, we, everyone in our family said they're going to be late to their own funeral, right? Somehow, some way. When that family member's name would come up and we were younger kids, like I was in middle school, hey, such and such is going to pick you up. All of us decide, like, oh, we're going to be here for, like, two hours hanging out here. It's so discouraging. Now, there's other names in my life where I think of, like, rock solid, consistent, like, oh, they're coming through. There are certain people, I'm not going to say who they are, but if they, they said, when, when I was working with you, the family, there was a, a parent who's like, stop fundraising. I'm going to buy the, the, the bus tickets for all these kids to go to teen camp. I took it to the bank. I stopped fundraising. If my uncle that I was just telling you about said stop fundraising, I'm going to take him. I'm like, I'm not going to stop. Let's just keep it going. Because that person has a reputation now in my eyes because of what they've done in the past. That I'm like, if they say it, it will happen. To hollow God's name is to remember what he's done in the past and how he's worked scripturally, but even in your own personal life to say, that's the God I'm talking to right now. I'm not talking to a God who isn't able to hear me. I'm not talking to a God whose arms are too short to save or his ears too dull to hear. I'm talking to a God who showed up in the flesh to see me, save me, recognize me. He is mighty to save. And that's the name I'm talking about when I approach. I think sometimes we stop praying because we don't believe God is able. So we don't even hold his name in honor anymore. It's not hollow. We're like, he's just like any other deity that may be reliable or unreliable. God is saying, my name is hollowed. So he's father. He's our father. And he is reliable. He is hollowed. His name is to be sacred. And why does Jesus want us to think of God in this way? Why do you guys think that? Like, why does Jesus want us to think that God is reliable? I think we too often forget it. Right? especially in this microwave generation where we say a prayer, we want God to answer it the very next second. Like, God, I want to be a person of great character. Two seconds later, you see, God doesn't answer prayer. <laughs> I'm trying to mold you, bro. Like, let's, 
or God, man, <laughs> I'm in debt, man, and you need to fix this right now, like magically direct deposit me some cash, or you did a thing with a fish one time, I need a fish with money in its mouth. <laughs> and he doesn't respond. So you're like, this guy doesn't work. Even more personal prayers. We, some of you are praying for family members to know Jesus or to be reconnected to Jesus. And you're praying and you're like, God, they, and we could talk a whole bunch of reasons why God doesn't answer prayer. That actually, that's, that's an important conversation. But like you just mentioned, AJ, sometimes we just forget. The whole first five books of the Bible, do not forget, do not forget, do not forget. Man, when you get this and you get this, don't forget, because we are prone to forget. We are prone for what have you done for me lately? You know what God made the Israelites do consistently after he did something? Do something to memorialize what I just did. So when you walk by it, these, these 12 stones, oh yeah, we were over there and then we crossed over to Jordan. That's why these 12 stones are here. God worked over here. I would encourage you guys to do the same in your own personal life. Memorialize it. You prayed for something. If God answered, put something in your house. Put something in your bedroom. Put something on your phone. Say, God answered this, and this is a reminder every day that this is the God I serve. But yes, AJ, I agree with you. We forget. We totally forget. What does verse 10 mean? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. What does that mean? Lincoln. I mean, it's sort of the same thing, right? Okay, to come to the church. Anyone else? What does it mean for the kingdom to come? You faked me out, Anna. I thought you were raising your hand, but you paused. You did. You just did it to me too, Lenny. What does it mean for the kingdom to come? How many of you have heard that phrase, kingdom come? Yeah. In what context have you heard it? Heaven, afterlife, okay. Second coming. Second coming, come on. Rapture, don't get left behind. Uh, I mean, throughout his ministry, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is near. Or, you know, yeah, yeah I'm just thinking that. I mean, like, so, I mean, it's just, you know, God is king, but most of the world right now is not living as if he's king. And we are living as if he's king. We do what he says. Uh, and at some point, that grace period will expire and then they'll come forcefully. Um, and those who haven't decided to live following him will, you know, get wiped out. It'll be messy. But hopefully, we will have done a great job in the meantime and have brought as many people as we can to that. Okay. Chanel and Scott. <coughs> 
Scott? So, uh, I'm thinking like a king, a king in a sense, his, his, his will, his, his rule extends over his kingdom. And if we think about God as the king, and if, it, if his, his rule not only, we don't want it just to be up in heaven, we want it to be here on earth too. Yeah. And so we want that to extend throughout the earth that whatever God wants isn't just a heaven thing, it's a here on earth. Amen. Yeah, to expound on a little bit what Scott was just saying is, you know, what I what I think of is, you know, when, I think initially with Eden, you know, God was God had a plan for what it was going to be here on Earth, um, and then of course things went awry and, and stuff. But but to almost in a way looking for the church to do our part to restore little bits of Eden here and you know throughout the world mm -hmm. um, it's not going to be the entire world all at once but but you know we bring that uh, like kingdom culture you know we you look through the, the New Testament where it talks about different you know like first Corinthians 13 about the aspects of love or Galatians 5 with you know uh, the fruits of the spirit you know those those things that we are ideally um, going to be living by um, that kingdom culture we want to bring that to our world Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know well, how does God how does God's kingdom come on earth? Like how how is that accomplished? Through the church. Through the church. This is one of those few times I would argue to think a little bit more individually. Through you, prayerfully. Prayerfully, through you, the kingdom of God is coming. When you go to the workplace, prayerfully, the kingdom of God is coming with you. When you go at home, when you go home to your spouse, prayerfully, the kingdom of God is coming with you. When you go to the movie theaters to watch Black Panther, prayerfully, the kingdom of God is coming with you. I don't know in what situation there'll be in opposition to the kingdom, but if it was, you're ready. You're like, I am ready to proclaim Christ as king in this situation through my actions and through my words. Um... You see, this is one of the most subversive prayers I think any Christian can pray. I think what, what has happened lately is what Heather kind of mentioned, where we have thought the kingdom of God only to be in heaven and only to be traveled to when we die. And so there are many people who make Jesus Lord and they say to themselves, you know, they, they're kind of like if you can imagine a tightrope and they're supposed to live this like, um, what's those Olympic athletes who do tightropes? Are they called tightropers? Whatever they're called. We'll call, them, we'll call them tightropers just because I don't know what they're called. But can you imagine if one of those people who do, like, the beams and all the other stuff, they get up there and they hold on to the beam and they get off and they're like, okay, give me a 10. You're like, you did nothing but held on to the thing. I could have done that. And be like, yeah, but it was dangerous. What if bad things happen? I want to make sure I, I can secure a particular vote which is, I want to go to heaven one day. 
where God is like, man, I want heaven to come through you today. I want the rule and reign of heaven to come through you today. Don't worry about the different dangers. Read through the book of Acts. There was so much dangers that the Christians embarked upon. They were not thinking, what can I do to have the easiest exit strategy off of planet Earth? They were thinking, how can I bring the kingdom of God? How can I do it? So when the apostles healed this beggar in Acts chapter 3, and he's like, I'm walking and I'm dancing. He's like, we got no money, but we got the name of Jesus. And when they were confronted, they're like, guys, this is what happens with the name of Jesus here. When the apostles in Acts chapter um, 9 and Acts chapter 10 and 11, when he goes into the house of the Gentile, it isn't that he's just trying to make a disciple. Cornelius needs to follow Jesus, but he goes into a house of a Gentile and say, wow, the kingdom has a broader scope. It isn't just for Jews. It's also for all people. That was big on Peter's end, and he got a little bit of slack from the Jews because of it. The kingdom breaking in. Paul in Ephesus, when they start having incredible conversions, the idolatry business runs out of business. And so they're like, hey, they're ruining our money. And also did this in um, Athena. But the money part was the more important part. They're ruining the money. Like when the kingdom of God breaks in, communities should transform. People should transform. And that isn't to say that we have a political agenda when we walk into a place. We just choose the, the will and the reign of God wherever we go. And I really want to stress for most of us in here, the primary place you need to bring the kingdom isn't what you do after work. It's what you do while you're at work. That isn't just me talking about evangelism. Though I think if you could figure out how to proclaim the gospel at the workplace, praise God. But it's how you carry yourself. How, how, how you see things and how if you're in a position of influence and there's injustice happening in the workplace, are you willing to bring the kingdom and bring about what's right in the workplace? Like it's very important that we understand that our, our primary place of bringing the kingdom is for most of us in here is the workplace. That's where we spend 40 plus hours in our homes. I think we spend a lot of time there too. So maybe they're both equal. Okay, when Jesus says, give us today our daily bread, he is speaking spiritually or physically or both. What does he say when he says, give us our daily bread? Is that a spiritual thing? Is that a physical thing or both? Both? Anyone want to say one or the other? Or is everyone down with both? It's a reference to manna. It's a reference to manna. Okay, yeah. come on. But it's both. You know, one of, the, one of the challenges here in America, and even as a middle-class church, we never really ask for food. Most of us in here, we don't wake up in the morning like, God, give me something to eat. We say, thank you. But we never really like, most people in here don't really like wake up in the morning like, where am I going to eat? That's not the reality for billions of people in America. I mean, in the world, not in America, in the world. They really don't know where their bread is going to come from. But there is a spiritual component to this as well. You know, I think praying, reading your Bible, fasting, all those things are really important. In the past, even I was guilty of this as well. In the past, I think we made people feel guilty if they didn't carve out a time to do these things. But I feel for many people, the pendulum has swung now, where they're like, I know praying and reading my Bible isn't going to make God love me any anymore. So I won't do it. 
and I'm not gonna feel guilty about it. And you're like, yes, keep the don't feel guilty if for whatever reason it was a completely bonkers day. But man, how many of us really do not enjoy eating daily? One of the hardest disciplines for me is fasting. I've gotten better at fasting and even keep my heart right most of the time, but it's tough. You, any of you who've ever fasted, any of you unintentionally fast, it's worse. Like, just go a day where you just missed a couple of meals because you were ha- it was busy. Look out. If you're around me, look out, man. I might, I might snap on you. But I think spiritually speaking, some of us have gone too long without cracking open the Bible. Some of us have gone too long without praying. And we just felt like, okay, I know God loves me, and that's true. And yet, like um, Lincoln mentioned with the story of um, Exodus, God provided the bread every day, and it was on everyone to decide whether or not they were going to take it. And I think spiritually speaking, we can only go so long before we start to not eat the food that God is providing and start eating the food that the world's providing. And that does something to you. Come on. It didn't work. It was rotten. It stuck. And what he was teaching the people is that you, I'm only giving you enough for, I'm only promising you enough for today. I'm not promising tomorrow yet. Jesus earlier on said, you know, you need to be satisfied with today. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will take care of itself. Okay? And I think this is a, a really important aspect of not just physical sustenance that we know we need daily, but it's spiritual sustenance. We need it every day. Absolutely, and I think that's really important. Why not ask for more than daily bread? You know, some of us are binge Bible studiers, right? Like you get in into your cave and you're like, I'm going to read this thing for eight hours. I'm going to come back face radiant like Moses. (laughs) And then you're like, I'm going to be back two months from today. (laughs) That might not help you. Where consistency of praying, consistency of reading scripture, definitely consistency of fellowship and worship with the community is critical. But I will want to point out, too, it's also physical. Guys, anytime I pray this prayer, I think about whoever I know is struggling to eat something. Give us, not me, give us our daily bread. So I try to make it my point to always, if I go out with someone, let me try to feed you. Now, as I get older, and, you know, it's different with the campus and the family ministry, right? Like, you, I was usually the one who had more money. Now I hang out with some of you guys, and you guys are cranking a little bit more than I am. I'm like, all right, I'll take the money, man. Um, but we want to be in the spirit of sharing. Like, this is a call to share, a call to give each other um, the food that God has provided us. Exodus 16 um, is kind of a passage that co- Paul quotes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where he's like, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. That is kingdom economics right there, where there is a degree of redistribution. Now, Paul is not a, um, a communist. He's not, um, what is Bernie Sanders? Um, a socialist. He's not a socialist. So don't get scared if you're like, I'm against everything, communist and socialism. But there is a degree as followers of Jesus that we should always practice radical generosity with one another. 
that we look at our possessions and we share first, I would argue, with the kingdom believers. And then if we have any excess, we share with those outside the walls of the kingdom. And that is just critical as followers of Jesus. And this prayer reminds us of that. What does it mean to be in debt? Is Jesus talking about money or sin or both? Forgive us our debts. I wish you could just go to Jesus and say, forgive me my debts. And he'd be like, yeah, I got you. He'd be like, praise God. <laughs> but is he talking about uh, money or sin or both? Okay. Luke definitely flips that and says he uses the word sin instead of debt. Why do you guys think Matthew uses debt and not sin? He clearly has that in his vocabulary in the rest of the parts of the gospel. Why does he use debt? Was he a tax collector? <laughs> he, he was a, yeah, that's all you could think about, money. <laughs> He's like, I see the world in money, man. <laughs> but why that metaphor? Why, why the metaphor of debt? I was going to say, um, the only, only person who can really forgive any debt is the one to whom it's owed. So we obviously don't owe, owe God any money. It's all his. So it has to be the debt of uh, inequity, I guess. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So we just Come on. Not, not encourage you, so I'm not going to say amen. <laughs> but yes, reality. I think um, they, they knew what debt does that can be really overwhelming to people. Um, I think if, if, if he was a tax collector, he would knock on people's door and ask for their money, and they would sometimes not have it or be trying to sell it. Like, there's, just, there's just an anxiety that can come from debt. And I think um, there's, a, there's like a sense of freedom that comes from the forgiveness of a debt without it being asked or anything else. Just I've, I've had it happen to me. Like you get, a, you get a call and like, hey, by the way, this account is zeroed out. Really? Okay. That's awesome. Yeah, you celebrate, Fred. Yeah. Good. The debt, the debt, when we sin against someone, a now, for some of you who've been a part of our fellowship, let's just say 15 plus years, 20, how many relationships have you seen fractured in our fellowship because of money? Lots. A ton, right? I've seen a ton. Like, 
When I was a campus student, one brother borrowed $40 from another brother. He said he'd give it to him the next day. He didn't give it to him the next day. And the brother who got the $40 borrowed was encouraged to um, forgive. And it just was so tough that within a matter of two, three months, he just kind of, his walk with God was just severed. Now that could have been handled better, but money was a big situation. The most, uh, uh, another situation where there was a married couple and they end up getting divorced and I end up getting a chance to talk to the wife. And I said, what happened? Like, how did this happen? Like you two were in love, what was going on? And she opened up and she said, you know, 90% of their challenges was with money. Money is big. You, you, you know, Jesus says you cannot love God and love money. I actually think he's talking about both. One of the biggest hurdles we're going to have is forgiving people. Like, we need to be generous, and we need to practice generosity. And there are times where, out of the love for your brother or sister, now, Jesus does teach, don't give what you can't what you give and don't expect back. But there are times where money will be involved with something, and it, we just got to be able to forgive. You know, I'm grateful for our board. I don't handle any of the church's finances. But you know what? That might be a misstep. I might say, you know what? We need a, a, a brand new computer that could time travel. And let's invest some of the church's collection for the time traveling computer. And then we get it and it doesn't travel. And now all of you guys are like, I'm never going to give again. I actually hate you, Steve. And, you know, and it, it could ruin our fellowship. Now, I pray the board would never approve of a time travel computer. But if they did, that's on them, too. So you got to hate them as well. But. Money is such a big deal. Think about your own families outside of the kingdom of God. How many people are like, I don't hang out with this person because they still owe me money? The area I grew up in, I saw people literally, not I didn't literally see them, but I know people who literally died because they owed people money. What happened to my cousin a couple of weeks, a couple of, a year and a half ago when he died, it was because of money that his father owed someone. It cost him my, my three-year-old cousin's life. Money is such a big thing, guys. It holds people captive. And so I think Jesus is literally saying, forgive spiritual issues, but also, man, when it comes to money, hold it very loosely or the money will control you. Mm-hmm. It's very important that we understand this lesson as followers of Jesus. And we're going to need other people to remind us consistently. Like, hey, man, don't hate this person because you gave them this money and they didn't pay you back. Don't hate this person because they did this thing for you. Like Fred mentioned, God is like, oh, no, Megan mentioned, we owe God so much. He's like, I forgave you all of it. All of it. But you're like, you don't understand, Lord. I need that thousand dollars back. I need it back. And he's like, I totally understand. But don't hold them to the fire. Or I hold you to it. And you're like, well, there you go. Let And it's challenging. And and, and again, this is not easy teaching, but this is the way of life. Once you can forgive, you can live in peace. Why does Jesus close here with lead us not into temptation? And what does it mean to practically be delivered from temptation? Lead us not into temptation. How many of you have prayed that daily? Lead me not into temptation. I would encourage you to pray daily, man. You might avoid some stuff that you're getting into daily. But why does he say, lead us not into temptation? I think it's a challenging passage because James tells us that God never tempts anybody. Mm-hmm. So why would, if we knew that, why would we ask him not to lead us in, like, if God never tempts anybody, then why 
why would I even ask this of him? Because I'm assuming he'd never do that. Right? Yeah, that's a good question. So I end up looking into it a little bit. Not even a little bit, a lot of bit. Because I was wondering too. Like, he, he got two, two. So they, it probably should be translated, lead us not into the testing. Like, there are certain tests out there that, yeah. But why do you think he says, let's just use testing for the sake of consistency with the, the book of James? Lead us not into testing. Like, why does he ask us to lead us not into testing? It could be. Now, why would someone not want to do that? Because they might fail the uh, test. Because Job really struggled to hold on to his faith in the midst of all that, like, uh, all that uh, misfortune. Amen. Sure. It's really, um, it's really annoying when people who love you are testing you all the time. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Scott? Uh, well, the, the testing, like with Job, it wasn't just Job. He wasn't in the vacuum. It affected everybody around him. He lost family. He lost possessions. He, he lost a lot. So I don't think going into a period of testing is something you just want to jump into because it's not just you. you know, it could be your whole family. You don't know how that's going to affect them. They may not, they may not be ready for that test. Amen. Um, I was thinking about it, and I, I think um, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. That I think it leads le le us not into temptation. Isn't assuming that God would tempt us. Um, a better would be lead us away from temptation. Um, just like a sheep can walk straight off a cliff unless a shepherd is guiding it elsewhere, we have a tendency to go toward temptation, and I think. It's asking God to keep us from it, not, not that he would allow us, not that he would lead us to it, but that our natural <clears throat> control is to go towards it. Well, think about Jesus being led by the Spirit to do what in the desert? To be tempted by Satan. <laughs> You're like, hey, fast a couple of days and Satan show up like, hey, you want bread? Uh, <laughs> That was a pretty gnarly situation, man. I, I probably never get offered bread. I mean, it, it might be sort of a more of a prayer to, to, for, for strength in testing. You know, to have the strength that Jesus had when, when, when he was tempted to depend on God, and, which kind of goes along with the second part of the verse, deliver us from the evil one. Mm-hmm. Lindsay. I think it's just a humble posture too to ask for God's help in that. It's sort of to ask that is also to admit that I'm not it's not about my strength. Like I need your help. I need your provision in this area of my life. Um, yeah. Amen. Uh, Tim and then yeah. Uh, I think that this is like a different translation. Okay. 
There you go. Got a different, a lot of translations out there. I think what Rinaldi brings up is a really good point. Now, can you imagine if you were there, if you were praying this prayer, Lord, lead me not to test and lead me not to temptation. And, you know, Satan, God was like, Satan's like, what about Steve? He's like, ah, he don't need that. How encouraging would that be? <laughs> like, I'd be encouraged. Like, yes, I do not need that particular test. There are certain things as follows that Jesus are unavoidable. I believe that wholeheartedly. But there are other things I think God is like, oh, I didn't need that for it to happen. It could work another way. Jesus, even in the garden, tried to figure out, yo, does the cross need to be it? Like, do we need the cross? And obviously he didn't get an answer, which was the answer. But I think it's really important that as followers of Jesus, you know, Paul prayed three times. Like, hey, can you get whatever this particular thorn out of my side? He prayed thinking something could potentially happen otherwise. And I think the same thing, if we wake up every morning like, God, whatever I'm going to confront, if I don't need to confront it, let me go about my merry way. So if I don't need to wake up in the morning and someone did fraud on me and stole my account and just to see how patient I could be, if I don't need that, let me go about my merry way so I could be encouraged and happy as I follow you, the living God. I think this is a call to just say, God, there are certain things you could have direct control over and there are certain things that need to happen. Let's get, let's get the, um, the former out of the way, things that don't need to happen. And so I, I, I sincerely think that. I know I, since I started praying that particular prayer in my own personal life, I haven't gotten a traffic ticket. I haven't gotten pulled over by police. I haven't had any fraud happen to me. And I haven't had those random emails from people in Africa trying to get money from me. Like, it has been good. <laughs> Like, all of this, I think, is a fruit, a direct result. Because I'm like a sucker for trying to help people. Like, the first time I saw the email, it came under a friend's name, but they were stuck in Africa. So I was like, what are you doing there? Why are you emailing me? And then, praise God for one of my good friends. He's like, do not send anyone any money. I'm like, but they're stuck. And he's like, read that thing again. I'm like, oh, no, this is a fraud. But since I started praying, leave me not to temptation, I don't get it. Some of you get text messages from fake banks saying someone messed with your account. If you were praying, lead me not to temptation, maybe you wouldn't get that. I don't get it. So just pray. I don't know. Maybe, maybe nothing will happen. Who knows? But why not pray? Because Jesus told us to. Lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. To be delivered is to not give in to the temptation, guys. I know a lot of times, sometimes, we're like, what does it mean to be delivered? So if I was feeling tempted to be impatient, to be delivered from that means I chose patience. If I was feeling tempted to be angry, what I chose peace. Like, we have to start praying this. And so Jesus puts this at the center of the Sermon on the Mount because he wants his people to be a certain people. This prayer is one of the most formative prayers in all the entire Bible. I think we sold it short when we turned it into the ACTS. Keep the ACTS. We want adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. We want that. That's good thing. But I really want us to understand that this prayer shaped thousands of years of Christianity. Thousands of years of Christianity. They didn't just look at this and be like, oh, man, that's A-C-S, A-C-T-S. Let's keep it moving. Let's go to the more meaty things. They looked at this and were like, wow, this is how I'm doing it. In the DDK, they prayed this prayer three times a day. Like they were encouraged to pray this prayer three times a day. So I want to talk a little bit more practically. We're going to move a little bit more quickly about how that prayer is connected to our community groups.
Guys, we live in one of the most secular cities in the entire world. Secular cities, well, maybe not the world, but in America. And if you think being winsome and having an amazing kids program and having me wearing skinny jeans is going to transform the kingdom of God, you have another thing coming. I'm not going to wear skinny jeans because I can't fit in them. I look like a toothpaste that's been squeezed. (laughs) I like jeans that fit. (laughs) But I want to encourage as every community group, as you're praying, try to get to know your neighbors and pray that the kingdom comes through you in their lives. Pray that the kingdom comes through you in someone else's life. Pray that the kingdom comes in the neighborhood. It is so important. We're up against spiritual forces and our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but we can't even use the arguments of flesh and blood. We have to use what the spirit gives us. And I think a huge part of that is us going on prayer walks. And I think we have to be a people who start praying that the powers and principalities in our communities are being brought down. You know the number of people who struggle with substance abuse in this community is high. And yes, we want to open up more facilities, more different ways that they could get help. But I think a part of that partnership is starting to pray for it. My God, if there's not enough, I want everyone in this community who wants to be sober to get an opportunity to be sober. Start praying that, start having an imagination for that. God, there's people right now who are slaves to sin and they want out and they don't even know where to go. They're going to Tumblr, they're going to Discord, and they're finding more darkness instead of your kingdom. Lord, help them find me on Reddit. And then you're on Reddit and you get connected. I've seen, I've heard a couple of conversion stories from Reddit. I don't even have a Reddit account because I'm tired of social media. But if you have one, bring the kingdom there. Start going on prayer walks in our community. Start praying about what God, what God can do in our communities. And I want to encourage when it gets warmer for all of our community groups to go on a prayer walk. In the cold, man, lead us not into temptation, man. Prayer drives. <laughs> maybe that's what we do. You see the imagination of the kingdom. Maybe we go on a prayer drive for real and we just pray for the community. We want to have prayer engagement. This is something that I have found really challenging. Um, and it's not unique to here in Portland, but it is awkward to pray with people. It is, you know what the challenge is? You just feel like, am I being uber spiritual praying with someone? Like if you're like in fellowship with someone and you're like, and I respect a lot of the charismatic churches because they have no shame about this. You tell them a challenge going on in your life and they're like, brother, can we go to the living God right now and see if he could change it for us? In our fellowship, we're kind of like, oh, you want to pray about it? Oh gosh, is it that bad? You'd be like, yes, yes, is that bad. You know, we feel guilty a little bit. I know I could feel like uh, I don't want to be the Christian that initiates prayer all the time. And I think that, that we need to start moving the needle where we're like, that is just what the early church did. Peter and John just survived the Sanhedrin. They came back into the room and they just started praying and the house shook. I would imagine if Peter and John almost got persecuted right now, presently, and they walked into a lot of the spaces I have fellowship in, we'd be like, yo, that's crazy. You going to post it? You going to let people know what's going on, bro? Like, this is crazy. Yeah, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. You get in your car. Lord, that's crazy. I pray he gets better. All right, cool. Back on to the news. Like, the, the whole community stopped what they were doing, and they were praying. When Peter was arrested, praise God that I'm not arrested. When he was arrested, they were praying the whole time. But I think prayer engagement 
this is, this is an area that I think it needs to become more familiar that we talk to God together as a community. And, and, and it will feel awkward a little bit. And, and maybe some of us are wordy with our prayers and then we can learn more simplistic prayers. Some of us are too simplistic with our prayers and maybe we could learn how to communicate better with the Father. But we need to be a people who pray together. That should characterize our, um, our times together. I actually believe, regardless of all the amazing things that God has done through this particular branch of fellowship, the International Church of Christ, I believe that the, the origin of that prayer partner group that started in Gainesville was what built the foundation of this fellowship. Like you get, you get any around those, there's, there's a group called the Crossroads and they were this group from the Gainesville campus ministry. You get around those guys in fellowship and they always want to end every conversation in prayer. They don't know how to let you walk out of the house and say, hey bro, let, let's pray about it, man. Are we gonna pray about it? Hey, they call you up, let, let's say a quick prayer before we end this call. Like they, they are just committed to the ways of prayer. And I think sometimes we've gotten, we've fallen more in love with methods instead of the person who could raise people from the dead, the living God. And so I just really want to encourage us, let's break through that awkwardness. Let's break through the awkwardness of talking about scripture. Let's break through the awkwardness of talking about Bible studies together. Again, I think we, 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 we should be diverse. Let's talk about the sports game if we saw it. Let's talk about, um, I don't know, fashion if we're into it. You know, like what was the queen wearing when she came to Boston? No one knows. Someone out here knows. And if you do know, no judgment. Um, but let's talk about what we read this morning or what we read this week. Let's talk about praying together and let's actually pray. But I think we just need more prayer engagement in our community groups. I think the other thing is, how do we pray to make decisions? Like how many of you legitimately create space to make a decision in prayer? Praise God. And I would encourage us. Like, if I'm going to move, like, let's just say I get another job offer to do the ministry. I would ask whoever would offer me, can I get six months to pray about it? When I was taught, when Glenn reached out to me about this particular opportunity, it was the tail end of, it was week before Christmas. I said, Glenn, I can't give you an, uh, uh, even an idea of what I'm thinking until the first week of February. He's like, why? I'm like, I need to pray about it. I need other people to pray about it with me. Now I realize I needed six more months. Not to say I regret this decision, <laughs> but I need six more months. Now next, next time I'm like, give me half a year to bring it before God, to bring it before others. Like I need more time because that is a life-altering decision. You know, some of us just willy-nilly like, yo, a house opened up, I'm going to buy it. I prayed about it. You ain't pray about it. You just saw the opportunity and you grabbed it. And there are times when, amen, but I think really big life decisions, we should have more preparation time in prayer. Before Jesus chose the 12, you know what he did? He spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting. Then the night before he picked him, he spent all night praying. I suspect in the 40 days in the wilderness fasting and praying, he was praying about who's going to be the guys. And I suspect all night he was like, even though I have an idea who's going to be the guys, I see who the guys might be. I'm still going to spend this entire night praying, God, who are going to be the guys. Make it very clear to me who's going to be the guys. And he still chose Judas because he was so connected to the plan of God. I would have demoted Judas once I became clear that that's what he was going to do. I'm like, he's going to have to betray me from a distance. But he did it up close and personal. Again, the apostles praying, praying, praying. I really think, guys, even as a community group, like as we anticipate where we're going to go next, how do we create preparation time of prayer? 
And again, I feel awkward saying this because, again, it comes off as, man, are you being overly spiritual? Like, why should we take six months to pray about this? Like, come on, man. This is this is do one Sunday. We're going to pray about it and make a decision. I don't know about you, but I make a lot of bad decisions that feel like the hand of God. Like my righteous indignation toward animals. I feel like it's God. And then I turn out like, man, that wasn't God. I was just angry. Like I saw iguana when I was down in South Florida. I hate iguanas, by the way. There was an iguana and there was a kid at the wedding place and the iguana was playing. And I was like, we should kill that iguana, bro. And he's like, bro, relax. I'm like, we need to kill that iguana. And then I'm like, let's grab the iguana and let's get it out of here. Well, as I was approaching the iguana, the little kid said, that's my iguana. And I'm like, oh, that's a pet. (laughs) I'm I'm like, I almost put it into a pet. And then I was just thinking to myself, how many times have I just done things feeling like it was just the right thing because I had the emotional reaction to it? Because I don't slow down to pray. If I would have prayed about it, I would have been able to open my eye before I was halfway there and been like, hey, that's a pet. And someone loves that iguana, even though it looks like a demon. Uh, they, don't, they don't look like demons to you guys? They, well, when I think of a demon, I think of an iguana. Like, like that's how they're going to look. Um, but we want more prayer engagement, more prayer engagement. And, and I think the Lord's prayer lends itself to that. Like, so when we're praying your kingdom come, some of us need to pray that consistently over our community for the next year before we realize, I think this is where the kingdom is coming and this is where I can partner with God. But we need to be people of prayer. You know, one of the things that I think is really critical and I, and I confess my own personal weakness. When I first got baptized, I prayed when I did. Whenever it happened, it happened. Whether it was in the morning, whether it was in the evening, whether it was in the afternoon, I prayed. I, I didn't really think to myself, like, you read through the book of Acts and you see that the disciples had hours where they went to go pray. They even had prayer meetings and they just did these things. And for a long time, I'm like, man, I don't want to, like, schedule my prayers. Like, that's corny. I'm going to pray when I need to pray. I see now more than ever the benefit of having scheduled prayers. And what I mean by schedule prayer is like, okay, I'm going to pray in the morning, and I'm, de- I'm definitely going to pray in the evening. That was hard for me. It, I had to put a reminder in my phone, pray at night. Some of you are night, pray at night and don't pray in the morning, but it's hard to pray night and day, at least in my experience. It was hard. But I had to put reminders in my phone, and now I'm trying to pray in the afternoon. I'm not trying to pray long in the afternoon, just like 10 minutes, 5 minutes. But I want to just be someone who's consistently partnering and seeking God throughout my day. My God, I'm in the afternoon. I'm in the thick of it where it's easy for me to forget who I am. Remind me of who I am before you. God, I'm about to get in this Bible study. Help me love them well. Help me serve them. God, I'm kind of distracted with the last conversation I just had. Help me be present. Help me be here. Help me see them. Lord, help the other saints that are going through the same thing right now. We're all experiencing challenges right now. And we're in the middle of work. We're in the middle of different things. Help us. I want to encourage us. Like, let's build that into our rhythm. The challenge is to see the need for it. The challenge of seeing the need for it is we don't hollow God's name. We don't actually think he could do something. But if we, once, we conv- once we're convinced that he could do something, now we're consistently seeking God in prayer. But the, it, as long as that's up for debate, whether or not he could do something, then it, it, it is kind of frivolous to pray consistently. Because, like, I don't even know if he could do anything about this situation. Like, I was like, all right, I was wanting to partner with you. 
And so in our community groups, let's try to consistently during those meetings set aside time for prayer. Again, I have felt like it's awkward and I feel uber spiritual, like oh, I'm that Christian that wants us to pray. But I think we all kind of got to just grow, at least for me, I got to grow out of it and just be okay with that. Just be okay with the reality that they devoted themselves to prayer, devotion to prayer. That means it's happening, even if other people are like, I just want to talk. I don't want to pray about it. And I got to tell them, man, the best quote unquote tool in my arsenal is to bring your name before God. And, and, and to love you before God. And then we could talk and see if the Holy Spirit provides us with any wisdom. Um, as we wrap up, any closing thoughts as we end tonight? Doesn't have to be any closing thoughts, by the way. BT dub. BT dub. Going once, going twice. So we are dismissed. <laughs>